Got 20 minutes? Then you have time for a Bible study. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says that if we remain in him, we'll get whatever we wish for. But if we don't, we'll be thrown into a fire and burn. At least that's what some might think he is saying. But that doesn't sound quite right, does it? Jesus said something like those words, but he had to mean something different, right? Well, today we'll examine this challenging passage from the Gospel of John, which is known as the True Vine Allegory. I'm Jordan Pine. And I'm Andy Baylog. Welcome to another 20-minute Bible study. Jesus, name above all names, I worship you. Jesus, you're worthy to be praised. I worship you. A reading from the Gospel of John. Jesus said to his disciples, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, but must remain in the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown away like a branch and dries up, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they're burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. That was John chapter 15, verses 1 to 8. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. It's critical to take out of the Bible what God put into it, rather than read into the Bible what we want it to say. And that means that it's time to go to space. Space is our handy acronym that reminds us to consider the speaker, SP, audience, A, and context, C, of a Bible verse or passage before attempting an explanation. And when we put those letters together, we get the word space. The speaker is the true vine, the root of the branches, our Lord Jesus Christ. The audience is the disciples. Chapter 15 of the Gospel of John is part of a long last teaching that Jesus gave to his disciples around the time of the Last Supper. A critical point to keep in mind when thinking about the audience is that they were all saved by virtue of having accepted the call of Jesus and following him. Of course, they were not technically saved until Jesus saved us all by completing his work on the cross. But it would be incorrect to interpret this passage as speaking to lost people, since Jesus was speaking to the highest levels of his followers, the future apostles. The context is our Lord's final instruction to these future apostles, and it covers five chapters. It begins with Jesus washing their feet in chapter 13 in the upper room of the Last Supper. And it ends with the betrayal at the Garden of Gethsemane in chapter 18. 
Today's reading from chapter 15 occurs right after Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. And even more important is the conversation that Jesus has with Philip right after that. Philip made the error of saying to Jesus, show us the Father. And our Lord swiftly rebukes him saying, have I been so long with you and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. And then he uses this phrase twice. He says, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. In that same conversation, Jesus also says the Father is abiding in him. And then he establishes a similar relationship between himself and his disciples, which leads us to the section of scripture that we're studying today. With that, we're ready to get into an explanation. Let's break down this Bible passage. Our guest reader today is Matthew. John, chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. For those keeping track, this is the seventh time Jesus makes an I am statement in the Gospel of John. We've already heard Jesus make yet another claim of his divinity to Philip, saying anyone who has seen him has seen the Father. The phrase I am also represents a claim to divinity because the original name that God gave Moses at the burning bush is Yahweh, translates to I am. Next, our Lord establishes the metaphor that he will use to describe the relationship between him, his disciples, and God the Father. He is the, quote, true vine. The word vine here in the original Greek is the same word used in Matthew's account of the Last Supper when Jesus establishes the covenant in his blood. Remember the context of our scripture reading. It follows the Last Supper, so this is very important. Let's follow the typology. Jesus is the vine who would pour out the sap of the vine, the juice of the grape, the wine, his blood, for the forgiveness of sins. As for the vine dresser, other translations render it gardener, that's the NIV, or even winemaker, which is interesting because God was the one who willed that Jesus' blood should be shed. And that blood is again symbolized by the wine. Anyway, God is the landowner, the owner of the vineyard, in this allegory. Yes, and we know according to God's will, Jesus was planted in this vineyard for a special purpose. As Christians know, that purpose is to be the savior of the world, which leads me to want to focus a second on the choice of words that Jesus uses to describe himself. He calls himself the true vine. That word true in Greek is the word aletinos. Strong's Greek Dictionary, entry 228, defines this word like this. That which has not only the name and resemblance, but the real nature corresponding to the name in every respect corresponding to the idea signified by the name. Or perfect. So we see Jesus is claiming to be the real deal, the perfect vine and the perfect sacrifice. John chapter 15, verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. 
The branch represents the disciples, and by extension, every member of the body of Christ. These must be believers, or saved people, because of the phrase, in me. Unsaved people are never in Jesus. Notice also that the phrasing is absolute. Every branch is expected to bear fruit. And now we come to some very hard teachings. The first one is that God, quote, takes away every branch in Jesus that does not bear fruit. You know, the NIV and other translations use an even harsher phrase. Instead of the words, he takes away, they use the phrase, he cuts off every branch that does not bear fruit. And when we look at Strong's Greek Dictionary, entry 142, the word is Ido. Ido. Now, you'll find that the first definition for that entry is actually the words raise up, elevate, or lift up. We believe this is the best translation of the word Ido for this application. And you might ask, well, why is this so important? Well, it's because if we translate Ido as the words cuts off, as in the vine dresser cuts off the branches, then that translation undermines the doctrine of assurance or the doctrine of once saved, always saved, which is biblical. So if the words are cuts off, then someone who was in Jesus can be cut out of Jesus. That just doesn't sound right, and it doesn't line up with biblical truth. But lifts up does not undermine assurance. It actually supports it. You know, the late founder of our ministry, Pastor Whipple, put it this way, quote, The branches of the vine must be on a trellis, the reason being that they will not produce fruit while lying on the ground. A good husbandman, then, will always lift up a fallen branch and place it upon the trellis. Likewise, the Christian cannot produce fruit while in the world. Those that are living a worldly life, God is gently dealing with in order to lift them up by his word to live on a spiritual trellis, end quote. Pastor Whipple's point here is that our God is a God of second chances, a God rich in mercy and loving kindness that is everlasting. You know, and this same understanding addresses the other challenging phrase in this verse, that is that God prunes even fruit-bearing branches. Why? Well, Jordan, the simple answer is so that they may bear even more fruit. You know, we think of pruning as cutting, but again, the word is not that way in the original Greek, which is the word kathido. In Greek, it means to cleanse of filth or cleanse of impurities. So in a sense, we see here that Christians are pruned through confession and forgiveness. John chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I in you, just as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, but must remain in the vine. So neither can you, unless you remain in me. This phrase, you are already clean, is very important because, in other words, the disciples had received and believed the word of salvation and had salvation from the stain of original sin. Also notice that our Lord uses the word clean here, which reinforces the true translation of prune that we just talked about, to cleanse of filth. Notice also that it is the word that cleanses here. 
Yes, and we know Jesus is referred to as the Word in John chapter 1, verse 1, and God's Word cleanses us. Okay, so back to our text in John 15, 3 to 4, Jesus goes to the next level and teaches it is not enough to be in him or just have a one-time justification. His disciples must abide in him, meaning to continually dwell in him, which speaks of an ongoing sanctification. Well, you know, you might ask, what about us? How do we abide in Jesus? Again, there's a simple answer to that, by abiding or living in his word. John chapter 15, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Here our Lord repeats the I am claim. He also emphasizes to all of us reading today, that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing of value to God, as you just said, Andy. This ties in with the Apostle Paul's master-builder analogy from 1 Corinthians 3. In the analogy, works of self are symbolized as wood, hay, and straw, and all of them are burned up at the judgment of believers, leaving nothing but the foundation, which is Christ himself. In other words, nothing is left apart from what Christ did on the cross. We receive no reward, and we get into heaven by the skin of our teeth, as it were. It's only by the works we do as a result of being in the vine that we can earn rewards, which are symbolized in the analogy by fireproof gold, silver, and precious stones. John chapter 15, verse 6. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown away like a branch and dries up, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. This is probably the toughest verse and where we get into some real controversy. What does Jesus mean here, Andy? Well, Jordan, we only have a few options. He could be speaking of one of four possibilities. Number one, believers who lose their salvation. Number two, believers who keep their salvation but are punished. Number three, counterfeit believers who were never saved to begin with. And number four, non-believers or the unsaved in general. Now, we know it can't be the first option because, again, that would contradict the doctrine of assurance and other passages in this very gospel. And now we also know it can't be the last option, unsaved people in general, because these are branches of the vine. And Jesus said, he is the vine. Unsaved people are never part of Jesus, or they wouldn't be unsaved, because if they are part of Jesus, they're saved. So that leaves the second or third explanation. These are either counterfeit believers who were never truly part of the vine and are on their way to hell, or true believers who failed to abide and are being punished, but will ultimately be saved from hell. Let's think about the audience again. Jesus is talking to his disciples, whom we know were all genuine believers. Crucially, we should notice that Judas Iscariot was not present at this time when Jesus was speaking. He had left to betray Jesus a few chapters earlier, immediately after the Last Supper. So the only counterfeit we could credibly say Jesus was talking about wasn't there. 
Yeah, it's a good point, Sandy. And by process of elimination, it seems we're left with only one option, and that's believers who keep their salvation but are punished. Now, you might be thinking, how can that be right? Isn't fire a symbol of hell? How can a believer get thrown into hell? Yeah, well, this is definitely a much longer discussion, or I'll just say this. Remember the master builder analogy you brought up earlier, Jordan? If you go and look at that analogy in 1 Corinthians 3, you'll notice that it also ends with fire. Yet Paul says the man in the analogy is saved because of the foundation of the building, which is Jesus Christ. And this is a very important clue. It turns out that if you run down the fire type in the Bible and carefully consider who the audience is and who the Bible is talking about, you will see that there are many places where God's people face judgment fire for the purpose of punishment, or a better word would be refinement, but that's never permanent. And that's why we believe this verse is teaching that worthless branches, for instance, backsliders and apostates, they will wither. But notice they don't die. They still have some sap in their branch. And then eventually they will be judged or, like I mentioned, tested by fire. Their works will burn up, but thanks to their foundation, again, Jesus Christ, or the sap from the true vine in this case, they will eventually escape total destruction. John chapter 15, verse 7. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This verse falls under the topic of God is not a genie. Some do treat God like a genie and believe that if you say, name it and claim it, God will give it to you. You know, sports cars, mansions, yachts, whatever your heart desires. And this verse can be misinterpreted as a proof text for that belief. You know, ask whatever you wish, Aladdin, and it will be done for you. But notice the phrase before this statement is conditional. If you remain in me and my words remain in you. As it says in Isaiah, let's reason together. If you are in Jesus and his words remain in you, will you wish for a sports car? Will you ask Jesus for a mansion? Of course not. Here are the kind of words that our Lord spoke. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Yeah, Jordan. And that addresses the challenge you raised at the beginning of this episode. You said that a quick reading of these verses seems to suggest that anyone who remains in Jesus will get whatever they wish for. Now we can see that the first statement is conditional. And getting what you wish only works if your will our will is perfectly aligned with God's will. As the Apostle John put it in his first letter to the churches, this is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked from him. And that's 1 John 5, 14 to 15. So finally, we have verse 8 of today's scripture reading. John chapter 15, verse 8. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Notice the phrase here again is much fruit. 
In our reading today, we have heard Jesus teach about fruit, verse 2, more fruit, also in verse 2, and much fruit, verse 5 and now verse 8. These can be thought of as levels, and that makes sense because, again, our Lord is teaching his higher-level followers, the future apostles. Not about how to get saved, since they were already in the vine, but about how to qualify to receive reward for being a faithful follower who glorified the vine dresser. And with that, we see what this true vine metaphor is really all about, qualifying to enter into Christ's kingdom and to rule and reign with him. That's 20 minutes, and that's our lesson. We have some time, so let's do a conversation question. Some smart Bible teachers believe that dried up branches in the true vine metaphor are not real Christians because of the parable of the tares in Matthew 13. Since the tares weren't real Christians, isn't that a valid point? Yeah, that's a very interesting question. But if you consider these two metaphors carefully, I think it becomes clear that the comparison is not correct. The parable of the tares is about fake wheat, or tares, that grow up alongside real wheat to the point where it's not easy to distinguish what is real and what is fake. But in the true vine metaphor, the branches that are not abiding are obvious because they are not bearing fruit. And they are not merely among the true branches, they are actually attached to the vine with the other branches. This means they once received the life-giving sap of the vine, which is the life-giving blood of Jesus Christ. If such a branch can be cut off and thrown away forever, then we're saying that people who once received the blood of Christ can be cut off and sent to hell. But again, that would contradict the teaching of our Lord in John 10, where he assured us that no one can snatch a saved person out of his hand. Yeah, Jordan. It would also contradict the teaching of the Apostle John, the one who recorded the true vine metaphor in this gospel. Here's what he says in his first letter to the churches. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. That's 1 John 5, 11 to 14. But we have to ask, would John have written those words if he believed Jesus taught that some members of the church could be cut off and then sent to a place of eternal death? No, and of course not. So the ultimate key to understanding today's lesson is this. If any Bible studier does not know the difference between salvation of the spirit and the salvation of the soul, they will grossly misinterpret and worse yet, miss out on the most beautiful and perfect biblical teaching. It's an offer to faithful Christians to earn spiritual rewards and be granted entrance into Christ Jesus's future 1,000-year kingdom on earth. Keep in mind, though, not every Christian will be allowed in. As the Apostle Paul alluded to, this reward must be attained and then maintained via works of the Holy Spirit. The writers of the New Testament and the early church fathers understood this truth back then. They wrote about it throughout their letters. Unfortunately, this biblical knowledge, which is known as epinosis in the Bible, is barely taught, barely known or even understood by Christians today. So please, we urge you, everyone listening, keep this ministry in your prayers, for this is exactly why we create these lessons, to share these kingdom truths with all of you.
Thanks for joining us for another 20-minute Bible study. Special thanks to the family of Pastor Gary T. Whipple. Our music was recorded by the Abundant Life Worship Center. Our sound editor is J.P. Eli. I'm Steve Zioli, and until next time, may the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Reserved Mysteries of the Kingdom Incorporated.